This episode of Important If True is brought to you by Quip. Uh, nice, usable, well-designed electric toothbrushes with brush head refills sent to your home. If you go to tryquip.com slash thumbs, you will get $10 off your first brush head refill. There's an alternate world where we had themed these episodes and we saved up a bunch of stuff for a chicken spectacular and it would be fucking amazing content. That's true. <laughs> Big chicken. God, there's like the Brahma chicken, chicken, the guy oh, screaming man. rooster, chicken face dinosaur, and <laughs> VR chickens. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can create a best of. Uh, a best of chicken. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to our chickens play- playlist on our YouTube channel. <laughs> Chicken news. Sorry, guys. We got to really dial back on the dial chicken, back on the chicken content. It's been way too many chickens. Chicken shit. Chicken shit in the morning. Yeah. We, <laughs> chicken shit. With Frankie and the schnoz. Yeah, yeah. With veggie panino. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie and the schnoz. That's just the first thing I thought about. <laughs> Which was scientifically turned into a dinosaur beak. <laughs> It's May 18th, 2017, and this is Important If True. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. I'm Jake Rodkin. Nick, I like that you're you're mixing up the Important If True read. We're oh, getting, thank getting you. a lot I'm, of different I'm, takes. Thanks, thanks for noticing. Sober, thanks for noticing. That was a sober read, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, it's, it's my morning read. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It'll, you know, when we're, when we're editing the podcast's entire existence, we'll have a lot of material to work with for which is like the really emotionally true line read of, and this is emotion- emotionally true. <laughs> and this is and emotionally this is true. Is this, this is raw. <laughs> Way too honest appraisal of this podcast. <laughs> God, what if we'd call this podcast emotionally true? <laughs> that would that would put a quite a mm. burden. And then yeah. welcome to emotionally true. Anyway, if big stomping robot, huge chickens. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more accurate than we would like to admit mm-hmm. yeah i got my haircut yesterday nice. and emotional Nick, truth emotional coming truth, truth yeah, yeah. coming true coming some, soon everything some is kind true. of emotional truth coming from this story <laughs> i uh but the reason i i mentioned that is because nick you and i have the same hair cutter we do yeah she's fantastic she's really good she told me a very good story yesterday that i feel like she, i i feel like permission to retell this story was suggested was like tacitly uh, um conveyed so i'm going to try and tell it because it was it was very i have no like context or way to situate this right it was just a good story that was conveyed and i want to just more people out of her it's true yeah it's true yeah Yeah, it's very true so this this was a story i if i recall correctly about one of her (sighs) clients husband's co-workers i think Okay. So it's our hair cutter's <laughs> client's husband's coworker uh-huh. in this situation. So uh, this woman was like, you know, on a business trip or something, or she like, I believe she flew to Seattle. She went out to a bar, like met a guy. They kind of clicked. You know what? Maybe I'll come over. So she goes over to his place. They like have a good night. She stays the night. Mm-hmm. Following morning, he's got to go to work. He's like, okay, I'm going to... I got to go. This was great. Like it was, this was been super great. Like stay as long as you want, make yourself at home in the apartment. Like whenever you leave, don't worry about it. The door automatically locks. So you don't need to like worry about, you know, locking up like any of that stuff. It's just, uh, it's just like, it's fine. Nick, you're giving me a weird look, but this isn't keep going. This isn't a note. This isn't <laughs> like a weird thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you a weird look for another reason, but keep going. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> nope. Keep going. So he's like, "All right, just make yourself at home. Do whatever you want. Like, you know, have some food, whatever." So, um, okay. There's a wall between the two of you. You need to just keep telling this story. This is a disaster. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So, um, so he takes off. She's just like hanging around, has her coffee, does whatever. She has to go to the bathroom at a certain point. So she goes to the goes to the toilet. Has to take a number two. It's considerable uh to the point that she actually clogs the toilet she's like oh like of all the fucking things to happen she's looking around there's no plunger there's nothing like she does not know what to do she's like panicking she's like she doesn't know this guy's number so she goes into the kitchen she finds a like ziploc bag what yeah she 
unclogs the toilet manually. Uh-huh. And I realize I'm using the word manually in the most literal sense possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Digs that out there. She fills up <laughs> uh, the Ziploc bag. This is just a disaster. She's like, this is like the worst possible situation. God, I hope there's a reason for you telling the story. <laughs> there's not. <laughs> so, so this is like she's making the best she can of the situation. Oh my God, I just got to get out of here. This is this is a nightmare. So she she you know cleans off. She writes a note. She's like, oh, it was so great to meet you. This was really great. I hope we can see each other again sometime. Um, like really just had a wonderful time uh hope you have a good day at work you know you know goodbye thank you i think i have an idea where this goes yeah so so anyway (laughs) christ all right get out of here she leaves door closes behind her automatically locks and then as soon as the door closes she realizes the bag of crap was left directly next to the note yes i knew it oh so good the kitchen (laughs) she that's it that everything has collapsed it's a it's a nightmare it's a disaster as a as as a no yeah she doesn't have this guy's number she has no way to contact him Months later, she's in a bar and she sees this guy and she's like, oh my God. She starts to go over to him to be, to like, be like, look, I can, I can explain what happened here. And he sees her from across the room and just puts up his hand and it is just no, absolutely not. No. Goodbye. Oh no. Yeah. And that's that. And Nick, I want to know what you're capering, like. This, this is amazing. Yeah. So, oh, that's a story that I told our hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? That's a story that my coworker told me about their <laughs> wife's office mate. And that happened. That's it's the chain is correct. What yeah. she described is correct. <laughs> but I'm the one that told her that story. <laughs> this is amazing. People listening, this was not. You can tell by their reactions. This was not planned. Okay, were the mics running earlier when we were talking we, about like hopefully the person who's involved in the story doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> I'm completely gobsmacked. <laughs> Landis, I need to. Landis, Landis knows very well that Nick and I are friends. Oh. Nick you and think I you were played. I talk about. I talk to Landis about Nick all the time. I assume that I come oh, up in your oh, conversation. Can I? Can I just say something, Chris? Yeah. Hoisted. <laughs> she must have utterly forgotten that you were the origin of that story. Yes. You know why she told me that story? It's because she said, oh, how's your new podcast going? And I'm like, oh, it's going well. Nick has told some really great stories recently. And she was like, oh, really? Man, one of my clients told me the best story. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Did I tell the story well? You did. No, that's that's the story to a T. That's incredible because it's an amazing story. That's I'll a, never forget it. I'm glad you kept that bottled up successfully through the rest of the story. That was uh, yo, crucial. It was, it was hard. It was very hard, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I did. Yeah. Wow. You know, the, the funny thing is the chances of that now getting back are, are much higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, now but it's know, fine, though. It's I, I, I completely own that. Also, I know the people involved. Landis consistently, when she referred to her client who told her this story, <laughs> consistently referred to her as a she- Oh man! Yeah, it was like oh, and then she's she's so good at telling stories. Like I don't know if I'll be able to do it. So do you, okay, well then that that raises two quite like or two possibilities. One that she forgot that it was me. Two that she was intentionally masking <laughs> that it was that would that it be was incredible. Right. I, so that was the question <clears throat> that I asked way back when I, yeah. I said you guys know each other. She knows that you know each other. Yeah. She knows that you do a podcast. Right. Were you being played by your hairdresser? I mean, it could be a combination of both in the sense that maybe she forgot <clears throat> who told it to her. Yeah. But knew that it was a man and was masking it oh, by saying just she. To be right. Just to, the, just to that, like that's probably giving just to, her a little too much credit. Just to anonymize snap, it like, slightly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, she probably just forgot. She didn't say anything else about. About this woman she didn't say like oh she's she's so annoying whenever she comes no, in for she a just said like she's just really i just want to know who i am yeah she just made a point <laughs> that she like told the story really well 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that was okay. the one detail about this woman. So that's was that nice. she was that's good nice to hear. So I'm like, oh, I better do a decent job of telling it so I can live right. up to this woman's sterling storytelling well, reputation. You have, Chris. Well, thank you, Nick. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we can pretty much tie a bow on that yeah. and move on. Yeah, let's move on. Um, Nick, I know that you read a story yeah, that the, I have not yet read. A reader read. sent in to us, uh, Jay, mm-hmm. and... Um, it's uh, it's a, it's an article on Vox called "The Case for Raising Chickens in Virtual Reality." <laughs> okay. Twist: I'm the scientist who did this research. <laughs> uh, this is an article on Vox called "The Case for Raising Chickens in Virtual Reality," which okay. comes with a photo, an illustration of of what this is supposed to look like. <laughs> Okay. Which, I mean, you know, just... Can I see it? Yeah. yeah. The, I have this, seen this photo. photo <laughs> is incredible. I mean, it's it's just a chicken... It looks like a chicken with... wearing, like, a stupider, even stupider, like, Oculus Rift. Well, because like, the chicken's VR eyes are on the but side it's like of its a, head. It's like a foghorn attached to a so, chicken's yeah. head. It, so it's a conical... It looks like, like, yeah, it looks like it has two big, like, old-timey megaphones sticking out of each of its eyes pointing sideways. Right. So the idea is called Second Livestock. Oh no! Which second, is a which, which like, is a play like on Second, second life. life. Oh my God! The virtual uh, reality game or yeah, whatever it is. All yeah, and it's just like a cyber life realm. Game. Second Life yeah. is just like a social 3D space uh-huh. with an economy. Right. So second Livestock. This is being developed by an assistant professor of design at Iowa State University named Chris Remo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, key to the vision of Second Livestock is that it would enable what Stewart calls virtual free-range living. In theory, you could mm. run a farm of Second Livestock playing chickens who, in fact, live cheek by jowl with each other, but who perceive themselves as living together on an open field. He has a quote here. Maybe the farmer could disguise himself as a chicken to check in on his flock, oh but there God. would be no non-player characters. They'd be real chickens because the facilities are all networked together, and they'd be in the same virtual world, and they'd have microphones. <laughs> so wait, they're going to mic on, up wait, the what, chickens. Wait, what? So they're actually living... <laughs> what was that? They're actually living cheek to cheek. Yes, in cages. But they're cages. all in the game together at right. the same time. So the game is like positioning them farther apart than they actually are in the virtual space? What if they bump into each other they physically know. They're in the a chicken. real world? I think, I, I, they think they're hitting an invisible wall? The assumption has to just be these chickens won't know because they're, they're chickens. They're such idiots? Yeah. But what is, like, so these chickens are just going to develop an insane way of perceiving the world where they can walk forward. These chickens are being ki- born into the Matrix is what this is actually oh, yeah. proposing. A hundred percent. They've never yeah. actually moved in their life but they've imagined through whatever sensory input causes the walking sensation inside of the VR to happen mm. to make them think that that's how you walk. I, I, that's gotta be how this works. Also though, if the reality of locomotion in VR, like in big companies that try to make VR games, uh, everyone always imagines it's like the holodeck from Star Trek. Yeah. God, I almost said Star Wars. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Fired, hoisted, murdered. <laughs> um, but the thing that always happens in VR when you let someone walk without them moving their actual body is they get motion sick and often throw up. So this could just be like day one of the of uh, second livestock. They're like, okay, the system's on. And then just like four million chickens barf. Uncontrollably barf. Like you just hear... And then just yeah. I mean, if they're born into it, presumably they would just. I assume the bar- the human barfing in this situation is a result of the gulf between expectation and like current sensory input. So if a chicken's wearing horns on like foghorn uh, oculuses, yeah, oculi, oculi, yeah, from birth, right? Maybe it's fine. The, I mean, the thing that is more distressing to me about this article is how easily you could reframe it as the case for raising humans in oh, virtual yeah. well, reality. The second quote here is, is particularly good. Uh, it enables <clears throat> humans to live a free-range life. <laughs> he says, there's research suggesting that free-range uh, humans show all the signs of having a stressful <laughs> life. They have more broken bones, they get broken legs, etc., whereas humans raised in little boxes don't have those indicators of stress. And who's to say which is better? <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's to say? You don't have the loss you do when you farm free-range humans. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw this article, I thought, like, this is a like fun, wacky thing. Maybe, like, you know, I don't know what I thought. I mean, yeah. part of this literally just sounds like our actual lives now. They'd be real humans because the facilities are all networked together, and they'd be in the same virtual world, and they'd have microphones. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Get these chickens some apps... Yeah. Get them a, a voice assistant. What if they could play Angry Birds? 
Why are they even? What's even? Are they missing? As Angry Birds? Yeah. What are these Angry Birds? Well, they're not going to be Angry Birds. They're going to be happy and oh, that's right. That's true. What are these Content Birds? Yeah. We've, we've created a new chicken VR platform called Content Birds. Angry Birds is actually incredible chicken propaganda because it's like, look how angry these birds are. Look how happy you are. You could be though. You could be. Imagine like if you would move around, so but though because the, the chicken would be like, I move around just fine. I have this huge infinite farm. I can go wherever oh, I that's, want. That's true. With millions of chickens. Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, the angry birds are actually fictionally more like in bondage than the virtual birds. Yeah, the angry birds are the propaganda. Like, that's so what you the don't propag- want. Yeah, the propaganda is actually still the same. It's still like, oh, it's better to be free and it's bad mm. to be like confined. It's just that they're doing that while in like a virtual reality freedom in which their bodies are actually physically confined. I hope that the like um in in world sort of like first person body representation of these chickens is like really muscular like they're all bra- <laughs> they're, they're all Brahma chickens they're all Brahma ch- in oh, VR. Man. They're like I'm oh, a huge God. rooster with like giant like Clydesdale horse legs. That's how they that's And they're actually they, just uh, these like they can all fly. Yeah, they can all fly but in, <laughs> in real life they're all just like wally like fat, fat huge factory farm chickens just sort oh, of Oh god, that's so oh, sad. That's really, oh, god. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's how they uh, they solve the 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 gap between how much space is in between the chickens in the thing. It's like they're all next they're all next to each other. Uh, they're actually quite far apart in virtual reality, but they're all so huge that they're still all bumping into each other all the time because right. they're these big badass huge Brahma, Brahma chicken. chickens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess to to get to the point where that would be valuable to the chickens, they would also have to create an entire chicken sort of industrial beauty complex where there's also like chicken magazines showing buff other chickens and then the chickens have a reason to care about this and they're like distracted from <laughs> this real it's like shitty reality that they're secretly living in um yeah yeah they can they can look nice they can you know accessorize their existence they can mm-hmm. they can fight they can also have little virtual uh like miniature digital chickens that they get in fights for them, <laughs> <laughs> which look like traditional chickens and roosters, like regular, like modern farm size ones that they look down on. But right. those are just like, you know, they're Pokemon. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or those are maybe they have humans. <laughs> when describing the actual map of second livestock, Stuart gets fairly utopian. There's water sources and little bugs that crawl around that are mapped to the food and water trays so they can bend and drink water and eat food. These things are the ideal of chicken life, and there are no predators, so they're free to just worry about chicken business. Chicken business is a, is a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> He's, of course, referring to the in-game economy. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's, of course, referring to oh, the, the virtual second life who no! buy and spend their clucks. No. Well, we, 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 we saw this other thing this week, which was this: there, there, there's a Chinese farm of iPhones, thousands of iPhones that are rigged up to just oh, constantly true, yeah. give ratings to things. If you could somehow put an iPhone in front of these chickens. Wait, so to, and they think oh my they're God. they think they're pecking away the rating like, farm. Yeah, but they're the, but they're it's just the farm. It's the, it's the, it's the rating oh farm. God. It's the rating farm. So to cl- just to like clarify <laughs> what Nick is talking about, I just thought it's a tweet. F- like iPhone farm with some some ten thousand iPhones just all hooked. It was up like in racks and racks. It looked just, like it looked like a, a a video store or something or like a bookstore. Yeah, just but racks and just racks and racks of iPhones as all far as you can in, see. And the purpose of it is. Presumably to sell mass ratings and reviews to like app developers or whoever who pay this farm to go through and just assign tens of thousands or however many, whatever bulk reviews um, are bought. And there's, I guess, people in here who just go like screen to screen to screen, tapping all the things, or maybe they have software that does that. But yeah, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate vertical integration here is you have your chickens yeah. tapping away. You put you like have a robot that dispenses feed onto the screen. Onto the five-star mm-hmm. spot. <laughs> five-star <clears throat> spot, and then the chickens go through. I mean, I guess that robot could also just press the button. Uh, sure, but... But, but, I, but, but I, why do that when you can why, have the yeah. organic touch of a well, chicken? Well, the, the chickens are also on treadmills that power those robots. So <laughs> it really goes... The whole thing, gross. Yeah, the chickens are on treadmills, which power the human matrix next door. That's har- oh, harvesting gross. human oh, energy no. for batteries. Just the yeah. robots that keep oh. the humans powered. Oof. You got the, the chicken farm. Yeah, <clears throat> the chickens are of course fed by corn, which is harvested just by however they harvest corn. They're already really efficient Gro- and depressing uh, at harvesting growing corn. Growing corn. I mean, 
The entire middle 95% of America is a corn farm to power the East Coast chicken farm that powers the West Coast human farm. (laughs) This whole enterprise has been rated five stars by a Chinese click rating farm. (laughs) That's the world we're going to live in. Now that England has separated from the EU, they're going to finally get their empire back, but it's going to be different this time. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. England is strong. America mm-hmm. is a chicken slash human slash corn farm. Is a chicken farm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I'm yeah. sure we've been sort of derisively referred to as that by uh, by what, some the, like the upsta- f- by up some upstanding Englishman sometime in the last the chicken years. farm across yeah, the just, pond. Just a fucking farm. Anyway, what am I talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? What is this podcast? Um, unclear. Chicken news. Yeah. Mm. Shall we take a break? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> This episode of Important If True is brought to you by Warby Parker. Really affordable, stylish sunglasses and prescription eyeglasses. With very nice frames, you can get them sent directly to your home. Try them out, figure the one you want, and then get it sent to you with your prescription. If you go to warbyparkertrial.com slash thumbs, figure out the one that will make you look the most stylish and the most erudite. Or like the least stylish, if that's what or, you desire. If, I mean, if, if you, you really want, want like, to contrast badly with your face, you could, I, you could try real hard and do that. If you have the refined taste to be able to tell which frames are sort of subtly less flattering to you and also somehow simultaneously like have that? a sense of, like <laughs> that's what you enjoy then you could maybe pull that off I would be really impressed if both you and any other human were able to pick up on if that someone else looked at you and went <laughs> nice that's a pair that almost goes with your face but doesn't but I can tell that you deliberately picked that that's pair erotic, in- yeah. instead of a pair that looks really good yeah Warby Parker is probably the brand for that level of like of unnecessary like, irony of like, yeah, yeah. And, and eyewear aficionados who like mm. yeah but you could also just get a nice pair of glasses that is good and you can get your five frames sent to your home uh for free to try out by going to warbyparkertrial.com slash thumbs and we have a shout out this week this is from gavin valentine Uh, He says, hey, guys, I've been a huge fan of the show for a few years now, and I would love to have a shout out for my card game that is on Kickstarter right now. It's called Bullets and Teeth, and it is a casual zombie game based on your favorite toxoplasmosis. (laughs) Toxoplasmosis, the weird virus or parasite that infects, lives in cat guts and makes rats love cat urine. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Makes rats want to hang out near where cats are. Yep. Uh, So this, again, the Kickstarter is called Bullets and Teeth. It's a casual zombie card game for three to five players. There are only two reward tiers. It is a very nice, clean, elegant Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, there's just the standard edition of the game and the special edition of the game. That's it. Yeah, it's really nice. The art on all the cards and the design of the game looks really, really professional, too. It's really good stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you search for Bullets and Teeth Kickstarter, you will find this. It's by Last Ditch Games. Oh, also, they've already hit their goal, so this is definitely happening. So if this is just a game you're you're interested in, just get on the tail end of this Kickstarter. You know that you're going to get your thing. Yeah. Yeah, the Bullets and Teeth Kickstarter. Search for it. You'll find it. It'll be right on the first page of Google. Um, And if you would like a shout on this uh, shout out on this show either personal or commercial you can find all of the details about that at store.idlethumbs.net we have an email here from andreas who says hello thumbs i'm writing in the hope you can help me answer a question you have inadvertently caused me to ask uh, at some point during a recent podcast one of you described something as being quote the most 90s thing ever that made me think I'm not sure what that means. I'm hurtling towards 40, so I'm becoming painfully aware of just how out of touch I am with increasingly large parts of the world and culture. But while I have a grip of what I think being the 60s, 70s, and 80s means, I've realized my decade-based cultural catch-all end there. I'm wondering if it's because I entered the 90s as a 12-year-old kid and left it a 21-year-old kid. A decade is a long time, and 1991 was very different to 1999. So these descriptions can always be picked apart, but I asked a few people, mostly all older than me, and they've been equally vague. So I'd be interested to hear what you think of when you describe something as 90s. Thanks for your help, Andreas Hunter, St. Albans, England. I'm trying to think, remember what we even described as being so 90s. I think, what I mean, just hmm. based on having Jake known you for like 15 years... 
when I I feel that at least in the context of us talking about stuff, when something is described as the most '90s, I think the thing we're thinking of is like zigzag magenta or cups and yeah jazz cups and Nickelodeon or grunge or the confluence of those things which are very different styles but both they've all kind of of mishmashed together though into like yeah and then also this sort of like smirking postmodern like sense of irony I I feel like the the sort of DreamWorks uh, animated uh, animal Mm. character with a sort of shit eating smirk and like one arched eyebrow Obviously, numerically, there's a lot more of that in the 2000s, but I feel like that was born out of a very 90s, like, as ba- if batitude, yeah, when I you think know, of the, kid marketed, like, aggressive, um, ironic, like, bad. The bo- 90s, yeah, like, it feels stuff. like, I mean, a lot of my perception of stuff that I think of when I think of that's so 90s is sort of spinning off of the 80s in different directions. Like, yeah. the, the sort of. The 90s, in hindsight at least, feel like a time where culture either sort of thought, oh, we've reached the end of it. We've achieved some level of stationary prosperity and niceness. And then the other side of it was people basically screaming out of control, like realizing that that was not the case and that everyone else was Mm -hmm. deceived and either – the the two counterculture directions then were either I'm going to be angry and freaking out or I'm going to be a smug idiot about how you all have the wool pulled over your eyes and both of those people are going to do that by cutting things up and making a zine or like <laughs> yeah. mixing some stock right. footage together with footage of them playing guitar in a basement in like a black and white movie. Right. I feel like... Well... Th- but then the, the top side of that though is like first kid starring Sinbad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, the, the wool over your eyes thing, though, I think did manifest itself at, like, the end of the decade with, like, Fight Club and, like, even the Matrix. Like, Ma- the Matrix and, right. like, there were so many movies about that. Like, mm-hmm. you're living in a world that you think is safe, but you're really actually a piece of shit, and here's why. You know, it's yeah. just Yeah, but that, was... that feels like that started with a sort of with snarkier, yes. snarkier yes, counterculture right. mm-hmm. comedy Absolutely. in the early 90s. And right. then that, Before it gradually that sort of boil, boiled over to, like, Fincher everything's version. actually bad. Yeah. Uh, and you're, but, like, it's a high concept pitch like mm-hmm. super elaborate sci-fi version of everything is right. bad and then that finally just boiled over into oh it is bad uh, which <laughs> was uh, which is the time which in which we now live the aughts. Yeah. but it feels like people <laughs> being really content or angry or snarky about that contentment is what sort of defines the 90s to me at this point when looking back yeah um but then, yeah, also, you know, squiggly Fresh Prince of Bel-Air opening credits uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know. Lots of weird paint splatter art as represented by the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Toe Mineral and Nickelodeon and everyone's pants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just the pants people wore. Yes. Yeah. Computers had gotten good mm-hmm. enough to render yeah. crisp enough art that the fascination right then was very much um, about... Look what we can do. Remixing yeah, and right. repurposing other stuff, like right. combining video and digital work and practical photography and like mm-hmm. shitty fonts just on top of something because you can mm-hmm. do it. Like, yeah. And it feels like it took a decade for that stuff to sort of properly get synthesized into anything aesthetically long lasting. Like, I mean, I don't mean, I don't say that to just dump on that stuff because that's like. You love that stuff. A lot of like (laughs) 90s people sort of just. Pastiche. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. How do we mix all these medias together now that we can? Like, some of the aesthetic of that stuff is like my favorite stuff of like my life time. Well, so like an example. But you're right that it's not long lasting. Yeah, an example that came up recently because of the new si- right series now. of Mystery Science Theater 3000 is like the, you know, the sort of production style of the original Mystery Science Theater 3000 show, which involved a lot of compositing and like uh, f- full-scale practical sets, but also like, like you just construction blue a model paper, into like, them, you yeah. know, sort of. It's, which is interesting because Mystery, Mystery Science Theater itself is that sort of 90s hodgepodge pastiche thing because yeah, like it is very a big, self-aware it, yeah, ironic it's yeah. like a practical set they built themselves that has a blue screen into a model that is then them blue screening a silhouette of themselves on top of old movie footage that they found mm-hmm. all of which is kind of a callback to like the aesthetic of 1960s marionette stuff like thunderbirds yeah mm-hmm. like the farther away i've gotten from that element of 90s culture the more i'm kind of annoyed at how a lot of it was received at the time because i feel like something like mystery science theater 
actually came from a place of like love and curiosity and a desire to make things and sort of live in your own version of that. But I feel Mm. like because everyone was so obsessed with sort of like the burgeoning explosion of postmodernism in pop culture and like and an irony and stuff that everyone anytime anyone did one of those things, it felt like someone would always go, aha, I see what you're doing is uh, a very pointed and brilliant takedown of these bad <laughs> right. movies yeah. or of like, yeah. you know, like when we talked on Twin Peaks Rewatch about that a lot, about people misinterpreting Twin Peaks, like love and meticulous detail for snark and how like that show, which is a pretty emblematic 90s thing in our pop culture at this point, even as Twin Peaks went on and started eating itself, it became snarky instead of just sort of emotionally or aesthetically interested in, mm-hmm. in those things. Instead of emotionally true. Instead of emotionally Here true. on the podcast <laughs> where we discuss the emotionally true. Yeah. Sorry. This is a good conversation, so I don't mean to interrupt it. That's but, fine. We're going but, way too long But did you guys anyway. see the, uh, and this is a visual thing, so it's not great for a podcast, but did you guys see the Batman Forever clip that's been going around that is that somehow is a 60 frame per second clip of Batman Forever, which was no, not, it was, no. it was, it was filmed for a, just a standard film, 24 frames. Well, how uh, does, I don't understand what that I don't know how it exists, uh-huh. but it does. Was it a slow-mo shot that they sped back up? Because then it would have been captured it's, at a higher frame rate than displayed. A, it, no, it's three minutes long. And Weird, I, okay. It's, it's extremely strange that it exists, what? and I don't think people know why it exists, but it's just on YouTube. It's incredible because it just it's Jim Carrey in the stupid suit and like just cheesing it up uh-huh. and like it's just awful. But is then it, in sixty frames per second, it just feels like like a Doctor Who episode or something. On top of that, well, it's right. just once things go to sixty awful. frames a second and you lose the sort of abstraction that you get from twenty four frames a second. You're like, oh, it's yeah. just a guy being an idiot. You yeah, just yeah. you <laughs> just see Jim Carrey on the set that looks very clearly like, like a, a set, set just yeah. being like a goofball, and it's yeah. just awful. Like. Wow. It doesn't. It doesn't have the the sensibility of the '60s Batman or like the the awareness of it. So it's just terrible. It's just straight trash. It's very good. It's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. It's, there's not. There's no way to actually describe it on the podcast. Anyway. Um. Weird. Yeah. Well. Uh. All right. Well, that was. I don't know if we came to any conclusions there at all. Uh, no. I think. I think Jake nailed it in one. I think. Yeah. I think he's I think correct. He probably. That's probably yeah. true. Yeah. I think about that aspect of like things are kind of bad but you have to instead of instead of being aggressively angry or issuing some sort of skewering takedown that will that will wake up the sheeple to just try to make lemonade out of the lemons of the world that you find yourself in and i think about that a lot when we do this podcast to be honest so like (laughs) i think a lot about my favorite sort of like weird 90s stuff when i think about this and not just because i want this to be a weird 90s podcast (laughs) (laughs) with jake everything is a little bit of a weird 90s something yeah jake's jake is our our resident pseudo gen xer on this podcast <laughs> you're kind of one i don't know where i land you're on the borderline I, you're, I, you were born in the year that could be considered either i was born more. on contested ground yeah 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 <laughs> nick and like, i are, like, nick and i are millennials oh yeah jake is half millennial there's like a gen x millennial no fly zone in which i exist and it's really just <laughs> exhausting that's your x-men power i'm a photic <laughs> sneezer uh nick has whatever stupid shit we determined last week and jake is half millennial half gen x <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just the worst. Yeah, Jake has the uh, the habits of a millennial, but the sensibility of a Gen Xer mm. is. Uh, so I'm financially irresponsible, but like weird video effects. <laughs> That's basically. <laughs> also, I'm eminently unemployable. Apparently, and hate work. <laughs> no matter what, I fucking hate jobs. Uh, ask any baby boomer <laughs> at any era in my life. <laughs> Sam writes uh, Jordan's Nyquil terrors. In, this is in reference to the a sort of crazy Tetris dreams from last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Jordan's NyQuil terrors brought something up for me, which I haven't thought about in a few years. I've had full-on waking night terrors exactly twice in my life, both around the age of 10 and 11. 10 or 11. While not as violent as what Jordan described, they did involve me staggering around the house late at night, wide-eyed, shaking, and pale, spooking the dickens out of my parents. One episode was light, likely triggered by jet lag, but the other had no clear provenance. Both terrors were comprised of three same-cycling sensory images. One, tumbling through a rainbow-colored synaptic landscape. Imagine a more colorful version of the opening credits of Fight Club, which was, at the time, years away from release. Two, the... But a seminal 90s... 90s, I know. Seminal (laughs) 90s imagery. Ironic, postmodern dump on society. Two, 
the sound of a zipper being zipped up. Hmm. I don't like that. I don't like that either. Three, Luigi, in the style of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show cartoon segments, walking jauntily up to a door and ringing the doorbell. What? God, the idea of that just pulsing, cycling of just <laughs> zip, ding dong, <laughs> zip, ding dong. That is also the that, most. That like, also would that be also, a 90s. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys, you guys yes. remember that from Requiem for a Dream? Yeah, That's right. basically what that is. Except that, yeah, it's like a Requiem for a Dream drug, like, ah, cycle before a mom aggressively cleans a house. Yeah. Except that there's like blurry, contorted footage of Luigi ringing a doorbell. <laughs> Walking, I like that he, it involves him walking jauntily up oh, yeah. to the doorbell. Ding dong, cut. He says, if I had to label my mental and emotional state as it tried to process these three images, it would be cosmic horror. It seemed yeah. desperately, desperately important that I either make sense of these images or on no uncertain terms not make sense of them. Uh, best, Sam. That I when, I when I heard this email, I... I kept trying to pull a specific example and I couldn't, but I remember having experiences like this when I was younger, like when I was a like sort of tween to teen age, I feel like where I would be like sitting at my desk in my room doing homework or like trying to fall asleep and just something would sort of start looping in my brain, but then it would just fill me to my core with yeah. a crazy intense dread that I've only ever felt in an adult as an adult when I've like seriously fucked something up at work and I yeah. know I'm gonna mm-hmm. get totally, totally, totally chewed out. But like <laughs> like something I did just something real bad and like that just deep dread. But I would get that when I was younger from just like a strange like looping sound in my house or like just a thought that I would then like somehow focus deep on but this version of it where this person keeps repeatedly having like weird rainbow like like imagery plus (laughs) plus Luigi ringing a doorbell I can I can the underlying rhythmic nature of just picturing yeah. that feels mm-hmm. like the exact sort of thing that had I somehow accidentally fixated on it when I was younger would have just completely triggered that dread state. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, what good... I'm so glad that Luigi is in there. <laughs> For the 90s, it could also be a super highly saturated, kind of blown out uh, version of the video. Right, right? where the yeah, colors are I'm like... Yeah. The colors are sort of sickly to the point that they almost have a green tint, mm-hmm. like they're in a Smash Mouth video or right, something. Yeah, yeah. And then everything's just bleeding bong, through. Bing bong. <laughs> oh, yeah, this feels like this could also then be mixed into a really intense, like, slow jam in the style of, like, the cash register sounds in Money by Pink Floyd. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, except that this person yeah. is just screaming as a, as they're like, why did I go to this show and this band is playing literally the sound effects and imagery from my dream and then, like, a sick bass riff gets put on top of yeah. it. Uh, oh, and then he wondered, how did they get these images? And then uh, he's linked to an article about scientists able to extract images from dreams. Which I think Nick knows about, and I don't. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. What was the deal with that? I didn't read this either. Um, apparently, scientists have now, like, they're developing um, a couple of methods using like MRI scanners, like MRI machines, to scan um, brainwave activity while while people are sleeping. And what they did is they took all of these uh, test subjects and. Um, Recorded their their uh, their sort of brain images while they were sleeping. Um, woke up, asked them what they were dreaming about. Took that and mapped that image, and oh. then associated it with those images. Oh, and then so like compiling a database. when they were yeah, basically compiling a database of what the it's brain like a look looks up like. Reference you yeah. were dreaming about a building. Okay, this is what oh, this is what your brain looks this like when you're dreaming about a building. Up in your brain, right? And they built an algorithm around that, Oof. and then had them go back to sleep after building up this database. And then when they woke up, the algorithm said, oh, you were dreaming about a tree. And over 60% of the time, it was correct. Wow. And so apparently now they can just figure out what you were dreaming about based on what your brain looks like. I hope that that's been increasingly refined. I also wonder how much it connects. I imagine that doesn't work from person to person. Like the things that fire in my brain when I'm dreaming about Luigi probably don't match to that guy. you've guys. never seen the Super Mario Brothers Super Show... Maybe that's not, I mean, I was going to say, then you probably don't have this dream, but I don't know. Right. Like, What, what if that if, just pops into your brain right, one what night? What if they're like, yeah, just 
for some reason, the Google image search images we've compiled that match up with these people's dreams, like, yeah, America just starts dreaming about Luigi for a reason that doesn't that they don't understand. Yeah, or, this rainbow-colored <laughs> synaptic landscape, sound of a zipper being zipped. I meant more like if they had built a database of like 300 people who had slept and recorded their like image results, uh-huh. if I could then sleep in that bed and it would accurately somehow know any of the images that I had. I can only hope that it does. I'm sure it doesn't, but uh, I hope that it does. Yeah. I would probably throw off their results by telling them every time that I slept that I dreamt of Luigi and a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our, 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 our only test you subject. pretty high. Yeah, you always uh, dreamt about Luigi. Pretty much Luigi <laughs> and that zipper, generally. <laughs> so I think we're going to put money on that one tonight. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool and smart way to to get a start into this. I mean, like, the thing that you want... Not that you want... I don't know if you want it. The thing that I always thought would be really cool when I was younger was the ability to basically plug a camera into my brain and just get, like, some sort of visual output representation of the images that I was seeing when I was yeah. dreaming. Mm-hmm. But being able to basically have a visual dream diary like this is really good, and I, I, it makes you, like... That study, I think, was done in... Or the article was in 2013. Mm-hmm. So I hope that four or five years later that that's gotten more refined or that they've collected more and more data. Mm-hmm. The ability to plug yourself in to that and feed the data into it for a long enough time that you could then have, like, months of output without needing any new input and see what the hell 90s multimedia collage uh, that machine <laughs> barfs out of your right. brain would be yeah. so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, the way uh, the way this is actually being done is they're, they're, they're creating, like, collages of images and then mm-hmm. playing that back for people. So it's not just one image. Right. So they're, they're already kind of, like, in that mode of, like, oh, here you were dreaming about a door, and now here you were dreaming about Luigi... And uh, but the other the, th- the other thing I saw there was a study. Um, oh, one thing real quick about yeah. that: the thing that would be terrifying if you're the guy who wrote us about the Luigi zipper uh, weird brain flow dream is if he then spent the next like two months plugged into that machine and then someone gave him back like the tome that was like the image script of his sleep and just like every two or three nights that cycle just showed up and he had no memory of it happening. <laughs> if you're just God. like, da, 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 then you just see like a still from fight club, a f- stock image of a zipper and Luigi's face just like 16 times. Uh, and then it just goes back to like dogs and trees and stuff. But every, right. you just until the back, like three pages of the book is just Luigi. Oh. <laughs> well, that actually relates to another study that was uh, published in nature neuroscience, neuroscience, uh, last month. You've become which, the dream master. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Which, um, the, using similar methods uh, and studying like EEG patterns, scientists have now figured out basically like they can tell for sure that you're dreaming and not not dreaming, right? Right. It, it and, used to and, be like you're just REM sleep uh, was dreams. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that was that was it. But now they've determined that basically your your brain is essentially always fully awake, even if you're not. Wow. Um, which they're saying like has huge implications in terms of just consciousness and like the thing they were saying that's really interesting is... What if we could use more than 10% of our <laughs> brains? <laughs> <laughs> but what, what was really interesting is they're saying like it's going to allow them to basically weed out... Um, Impure uh, thoughts. Impure, well, yeah, like... <laughs> what? I just at this point, I can only think of Luigi as some kind of like weird he's like a cavorting like dream entity. demon yeah, yeah a fucking Freddy Krueger or like or like that one of those weird thing from that Legion show you know mm-hmm. like the weird guy with the, the weird monster no neck. yeah yeah, yeah. Like that's I, Luigi's one of those well that relates to a third no <laughs> <laughs> also they've found that basically when people woke up and said I was having a dream about like talking to somebody the speech center of their brain was active and wow. they've, they've actually like mapped all these things so your brain is essentially doing the same thing it's doing yeah. while you're dreaming as it is that when you're doing things that makes the concept of sleep even weirder it just means your, your brain's brain inventing consciousness it's just inventing your brain doesn't need sleep it's just no. like all your shitty other body parts connected to it yeah basically so that means when we're all living in the fucking chicken virtual reality <laughs> with foghorns coming out of our ears yeah like we're going 24 hours a day yeah because our I bodies are just being constantly like I remember, I remember reading a thing that said that sleep's purpose was actually some sort of chemical dump. chemical chemical cleaning process on your brain, but I do not remember the article that I read about that. Yeah, because if it go, the brain the brain can be active all the time, but at a certain point it starts filling you up with images of a fucked up Luigi I mean, and stuff. So it's like, okay, we got to chemically clean. This well, nightmares are the brain's night. way of saying, "I'm rested now. Wake up." Wake up! Wake up! I'm good! Wake up! I'm good! Get out of here! It, it just sounds to me like... I'm just by myself right now. I need other <laughs> shit to 
It seems like like sleep at one point people thought of it as like a total refresh, but it might be closer to like a midair refueling. Yeah. 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 If you're psychologically stressed at a certain point, Luigi, the dream master, will start to will saunter up to <laughs> well, your the right. whole, saunter up to your your door here and ring the doorbell. I think that it, the, your, way, yeah, the way that it works is if you and, see Luigi sort of just gently pressing a doorbell and like giving you some sounds on loop, it's like time for sleep, time for rest. And then if you see Waluigi like puppeting, <laughs> cavorting around, going, then it's time to wake the fuck up. Yep. Anyway, you guys want to call this podcast a podcast? Uh, let's qu- actually, sorry, let's quickly do oh. a correction from last week because we uh, we shared some... A clarification, un- you mean? Untrue, <laughs> untrue information on important if true. We shared something that seemed emotionally true but was factually false. So uh, a couple people wrote into about the wrote into us about this. This is from Michelle McBride, uh, who tweets an article to us from Marginal Revolution. Dennis is not more likely to be a dentist. Yeah. So th- th- we we we, talked- we couched it like one percent that that study was likely trash, but it yeah. was too good to not mention. Yeah. Here here are the details. So. Jerry, Dennis, and Walter were the 39th, 40th, and 41st most frequent names, male names, in the 1990 census. But in a nationwide search, they found 482 dentists named Dennis, but just 257 named Walter and 270 named Jerry, a highly statistically significant difference, hence the meme, Dennis is more likely to be a dentist, Mm -hmm. right? So if all these names are about equally common, but one of them is way more represented around dentists, okay, that makes sense. Here's the problem. If, for example... In theory, no one was ever named Jerry prior to 1989, but in 1990, the name skyrocketed to prominence following the appearance of Seinfeld. There would be still no dentists named Jerry yet, despite Jerry being a very popular name in the 1990 census. So that's an extreme... Oh, they didn't, they didn't wait for those people to grow up? I, I, I guess not, but it, but there's even... It gets even more... It gets even... There's all kinds of ways this that yeah. data could be wrong. Following... So... Continuing, following this logic, instead of comparing the number of dentists named Dennis to those named Jerry or Walter, we should compare the number of dentists named Dennis to the number of lawyers named Den- Dennis, another professional field. Yeah. Actually, dentists are just as overrepresented among lawyers as among dentists. So Dennis is just a powerful name. I, I think Dennis is just a fucking nerd name. Like yes. you're just like if you're just you've got your parents named you Dennis, you'd like a probably you're a fucking nerd. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Everyone. Let's see the study on this. I, I want to apologize to any dentists listening uh, well, to this I'm podcast just, right now. Know, I'm just saying. I think you're cool. And Chris is a name for a classic bully shithead who hates nerds. We have some more clarification, but I guess we can push that off till next week because this is it's less of a f- sort of factual mm. issue. Um, shall we do some endorsements? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nick, what do you have? I have kind of a weird one, um, which is that um, a couple of weeks ago I had a night where I think I was sick at the time, and you I had just a dream about Luigi, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. doorbell zippers, and uh, no, I, I, um, I, I don't really remember how I got into this, but I fell down an internet hole, uh, and basically just on the topic of professional poker, uh, which is I don't huh. play poker, yeah. I don't. I'm I'm aware of it insofar as it was a thing in the early aughts that just sort of right, exploded sure, and yeah. it was just on TV all the time. Yeah. Um and I've watched like Celebrity Poker once probably or something stupid like that. But like I don't really know anything about poker. Yeah. And I just started learning about it and watching like coolest poker moments on YouTube and just like stuff uh-huh. that like yeah. people were obsessed with and um and then I fell uh in, into this um old Grantland article called uh when we held kings which is about and if you if you know if you don't know anything about poker when, when we held kings yeah if you don't know anything about poker it's about um this this might be the most likely guy that you know about it's about this guy chris moneymaker who was the first guy i don't, I don't know who he is. Uh, anyway he, he was huge i remember hearing about yeah. him but like he was the is first real name or did yeah he, it's oh, his real name and that's off. there's a whole section of this oral history that's I'm about reintroducing that. the concept of names <laughs> governing your life profession <laughs> i know right that was taken there, off the table by facts but yeah. it was brought back by emotional <laughs> by truth, reality, by yeah. Emotional truth. <laughs> yeah yeah the history of his name is actually interesting he goes into it but anyway uh th- he was the first guy who played internet poker to go to the World Series of Poker, which is usually filled with like poker pros with cowboy hats and you know the s- smoke filled halls and mm-hmm. stuff, and just like came in as one of like a thousand people and just won 
a million dollars or something. Um, and the oral history of this guy is fascinating. Does like, it go all the way back to his ancestors in like medieval England <laughs> who were rich? I mean, it does uh, yeah. briefly, but but like it's the odds of this guy and just his story and like everything about it as somebody who doesn't really care about poker. It was fascinating. It's a really, really good story. And it made me one appreciate poker more, uh, and, and but two just like it made me go back and watch like the last hour of that tournament and just wow. everything about it was yeah. just like it's just so riveting and interesting. Nice, um, and I re- I recommend it. So you your endorsement any. is an article called "When We Held Kings" yes. on the sadly departed website Grant. Yeah, Land. yeah, nice. Yeah, yep. that's cool. All right, um, I will. I have another kind of esoteric endorsement i i am endorsing learning about the concept of the modern day urban uh, eruv are you guys familiar with this the jewish religious mm-hmm. concept no this is really i find this really interesting wait it so is, say it again eruv e-r-u-v if you want to search for it and okay, read more about no. it e-r-u-v this is a it's a symbolic wall of string just like a line of string to symbolize a wall that is suspended above city streets and it serves as a religious boundary of the communal Jewish home. Hmm. So like traditionally in in Judaism, in like Orthodox Judaism, uh, you, you are prohibited from carrying during the Sabbath outside of the home. Like you literally are not supposed to like carry things on the Sabbath, right? Like that's like an exertion of effort that is that is prohibited. Uh, but within the bounds of the eruv, which defines this like symbolic collective home, this is like a weird theological sort of. Um, I, I don't want to say loophole because that's sort of um, that that seems like a a pejorative like statement, but it's like a it's like a sort of theological construct that allows. Hmm. Like observance of the Sabbath in this traditional manner um, hmm. in sort of like your just normal like area of operation. And this is something that over the over it, over the last several decades has um, sort of just as far as I can tell, basically completely silently just become a thing in a bunch of urban environments. So at this point, the New York Eruv. Uh, covers almost the entire borough of Manhattan, hmm. not not the entire thing, but you can like look at a, you can look at maps that show, and it's been growing over the decades. Like the, this like string boundary has like increased over time, and there's one in San Francisco. It's a lot smaller, but it covers much of most of the Richmond, including your neighborhood, oh. Nick. You are within the Eruv. Nice, uh, yeah. And there's like people like who have to on a weekly basis go around, I mean, who I, I assume they're volunteers, but they go around and they actually inspect this um, string yeah. boundary to make sure that it's still, you know, there and they repair it if need be and and so it's so <laughs> that it's um, intact during the Sabbath. I just find it like a really fascinating um, sort of extension of traditional religious life completely seamlessly into a modern urban type of living that would have just not existed you know, millennia ago in, yeah. in this way, in this particular, in the, in the sort of dense form that it does now. So yeah, I endorse learning about the Eruv and look it up and see if your city has one of these. I just thought it was a really cool thing. That's cool. That's my endorsement. Jake, what do you have? Uh, I am going to endorse watching two videos on the internet. Nice. This is in, uh, in follow up to the sort of aesthetic Aesthetic change over decades, and sort of the, from that from that reader mail, and us talking about what is the '90s. There's two pieces of media from the last like 20 years. These are stupidly specific <laughs> cuts, but that I that I love watching because I think that they're actually aesthetic uh, inflection points uh-huh. when one style gives way to another. And one of them is the trailer to the 2000 Guy Ritchie movie Snatch. <laughs> I remember that trailer. I strongly recommend watching okay. Snatch and think about like I mean I've seen Snatch but I don't remember this trailer. The opening half of Snatch of the Snatch trailer is like sort of electronic <laughs> drum music and the title cards are these like neon green and blue like stretched ovals mm-hmm. with weird stretched white typography that like jitters digitally across all different sizes and it's like the ultimate heist <laughs> and it looks just like it's out of the like sort of matrix and that era like yeah. techno heist everything's like super slick but it still sort of has that grungy 90s typography and then 
halfway through it, isn't the, it just Brad Pitt kind of yeah speaking. Brad Pitt in speaks, in a, speaks in a weird voice, gibberish uh, voice. Yeah. But then um, <laughs> weird. The voice. song Apache comes on, which is that like oh, su- yeah. super seventies horn yeah, section yeah, yeah. blaring thing, uh-huh. and then. All of a sudden, so it's like this, like they're like, yeah, but there's like really, really gritty, organic sound, and then all of the cast is introduced by way of themselves uh, freeze framing and turning into these sort of roughly hewn, screen printed, like boxing fight posters that look like something from the like 1910s. But so basically, in the middle of this trailer. It goes from the super slick like web 1.0 slash tech aesthetic to like hipster butcher shop from right. like the mid 2000s like so that. It's just it, it, this is actually the bridge. It's finally g- going away again. But like I felt like we had a decade of like the snatch title cards as everything's aesthetic yeah. forever. The other one is five years later, and it's um, the opening credits to the TV show House. I strongly recommend I've watching these. I've never seen House. I feel like House is the missing link show between old pre-golden age of television TV and golden age of like prestige television. Yeah. Uh, Cuz like, you know, House it's still a straight up medical procedure, procedural yeah. except that like it's shot really well and it's executive produced by Brian Singer, uh, the director of X-Men and uh, Usual Suspects and like, you know, it's got all these super aesthetic things where they don't just write on the chalkboard they write on like the clear plastic uh, thing that you can right. see through that the cinematographer yeah. can blur the exterior out but but it's also still just a hospital drama and the opening credits to House are an amazing missing link because they House I think is the opening is the TV intro that every TV intro has ripped off ever since like it's Oh man, what is the? It's like a massive attack song, I think. So it's like the sort of like super chilled out, yeah. uh, atmospheric, electronic, but kind of organic. Like it sounds like basically like it could be the Westworld theme, basically. And it's mm-hmm. like these macro f- photography shots of sort of like gold, gold tinged versions of microscopic organisms swimming around or like a slow, f- out of focus shot of a human brain and a medical chart. Like, you know, just. It could be Game of Thrones. It could be Westworld. It could yeah, be every, the, the, every credit the, sequence. The Crown. Now. But then you can tell that they're like, "This is really bold." How do we c- tell people that it's a hospital drama? In the middle of this, it just cuts to a helicopter shot of a hospital uh, from above with no crazy color correction or anything. Then it just cuts to a shot of the entire cast walking down a hallway. Right. Like it just cuts. Don't to- forget, it's still television. Right. Yeah. This is fine. Uh, still. Like it's yeah. it's so good that it just has like, boop, just like a. It blinks into just like Law and Order or like a f- hospital sure. soap opera for a second yeah, the in the West middle Wing, of all whatever, this other yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, it's so it's, so. Jake Jake is endorsing. I endorse watching the two trailer c- to the 2000 Guy Ritchie film Snatch and the opening credits uh, to from, House MD from, the ho- from House MD. I, I think these yeah. are really fun to watch. Aesthetic inflection points where you can sort of see like the tr- the the transition between a couple of between aesthetics that like. The two aesthetics in the house intro and the two aesthetics in the snatch intro are both Bookends. shitty, overused yeah. tropes of their era's aesthetics. Like, in, uh, but, in those, style. but these two but things they have paved both. the way. They have the, it's like yeah. you can see the switch getting thrown in the middle of them. I see. All right. Yeah. Weird. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us on Important If True. Uh, we will be back next week. And if you would like to send us an email, if you have any questions, if you need our uh, advice or consultation or um, I don't know, thoughts of any kind about whatever is on your mind, you can send that to questions at importantiftrue.com. We're also on Twitter at importantcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash importantiftrue. And our website is importantiftrue.com, which has links to all this other stuff on it. If you would like ad-free versions of this podcast, you can uh, get those by pledging to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash idlethumbs. And there's other... Fun stuff on there, including a weird uh, sort of con- branching continuity postcard th- uh, sort of campaign that you can be part of. And we do a monthly just Q&A episode where you can ask us any question or make us talk about anything, and we will. That's right. Um, all that is at patreon.com slash Idle Thumbs. On that, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week from Idle Thumbs. I am Chris Remo. I'm Nick Brecken. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye! Bye! Ah, ah, oh no! I just woke up from a nightmare where Chris kept saying stay spicy. Luigi kept saying stay spicy. <laughs> stay spicy. Oh. <laughs>
You gonna you gonna tell that so, barber story? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. If I do, story. I don't want to open with it because oh. just in case she ever listens to this podcast, you want it to I want to decrease the likelihood that she'll actually <laughs> get far enough into the episode to hear it. Why? Well, I mean, I don't you don't want to. You don't want to encourage her. Is that why? <laughs> no, I think I don't think she would mind because she sort of like indicates. She's like, oh, oh you should no, use that on your podcast. Yeah. And I was like, haha, yeah. But but maybe that's maybe she was kidding. She wasn't. But I don't want to ask because then if she says no. Then you can't. You oh, can't use I it. think it's pretty safe to use. I do too. Just knowing knowing her. Oh, there's no. She would be pleased as punch yeah. that you told that. That's story true. That's true. I mean, I have to assume. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, without the, knowing the story, it's yeah. impossible for me to have an opinion about this. 